0: We've been doing this series on, well, we're just kind of calling it internal health, um, getting uh, stuff fit and vital in your life, uh, particularly in your inner life. So it's cool, so cool to have Dr. Doan here as we wrap up uh, the series. This is an opportunity to, um, to uh, set things straight. You know, all sorts of ways uh, in which we get unhealthy, we get, as I say, wrapped around the axle. We get tangled up in stuff. Certainly, you know, digital addictions can be uh, part of that. One addiction that gets made a, a, a much of uh, in our culture is um, you know, food addiction and being overweight and, and stuff like that and uh, it's one thing we see often in the popular media, media is, uh, is uh, popularized weight loss, right? If there's ever a celebrity that loses 50 pounds, then we read about it in the grocery store checkout line, right? and uh, there's, I, I, I think of Oprah. I mean, God bless Oprah, right? I mean, she has lost 50 pounds six or seven times. <laughs> and, uh, you know, but, you know, she always does it in such an enthusiastic, you know, and good-hearted way and, and she'll lose weight and then she'll write a, a book on it or her trainer will and then she'll put the weight back on and, you know, go back and, and forth. I was thinking about this week because, you know, someone like Oprah has every resource you can possibly imagine, right? I mean, she's got it all, and she's really well-liked. She gets a lot of love and support uh, for everything uh, that she does. She has the best of trainers. She has personal chefs and, and stuff like that. But, um, but she fights a very extreme you know, battle with overeating. You think, well, why, why, does she, why does she do that? Why does she need to overeat? that way. What is it? Well, certainly it's an internal thing, right? Because your external life is so, well, I mean, it's, it's, kind, of, it's kind of fantastic in the literal sense that it's the sort of life that people fantasize about having. Uh, internal health is needed for staying power in life. Whatever you accomplish in life, if you are internally unhealthy or if you have some, some tragic flaw, I mean, it might just be one thing that you can't get right that trips you up. If you're not internally healthy, then even the cool things that you accomplish tend to just fizzle. They tend to just dissipate. And of course, what I worry about most is how that works on people spiritually. One of the things I don't like about what I do is that you know, people come to Blue Water and I watch them get their lives revolutionized. You know, I watch people just become awake and just kind of discover the grace and presence and power of the Lord. I watch that happen again and again and again, and in a disturbing, st- disturbingly high frequency, I watch people who get their lives revolutionized a year or two later just fall apart, just go back to, uh, well, to, to the gray suffering of the world and drift away uh, from the church and the vibrancy of faith. I just... I just watch this up and down and this cycle. You need internal health for staying power so that when you hit the mountain peaks, you don't just tumble straight off and forget where you were. You know, internal health is what you need for staying power. So we've been doing this whole series on health, and, and, and really what we've been talking about is, that, is how the world can, can take you out. The world can just take your feet out from under you in a way that makes it seem good to you when it happens. That's what really scares me, you know? The world can just take you out in a way that makes it seem good to you when it happens. Uh, The enemy can take you out in a way that makes it seem inevitable to you when it happens. Like there's nothing you can do about it because you get weak where, where it counts. Here's why. In life, we humans tend to do what makes us feel powerful. At least that's one way to talk about it. I'm sure Dr. Doan would have far more sophisticated ways to talk about this, but but we tend to do things that make us feel powerful. Uh, And if you're unhealthy, you do things that make you feel powerful in the short term, but that over time actually weaken you. And if you're healthy, you do things that make you feel powerful that – actually do make you powerful uh, in the long term. And, you know, the example is, is, is what we eat, right? If we need comfort food, we might reach for the malasada, which makes us feel very powerful in the short term. Uh, but in the medium term, it might make us feel a little sick. And in the long term, if we're eating a lot of malasadas, it makes us very weak, right? Uh, if, if you're feeling the need for energy, uh, the wiser choice would be to, you know, eat the salad, which might not make you feel as immediately powerful, but in the long term will make you quite powerful uh, in your body, uh, far more healthy. So unhealthy people choose unhealthy things to make them feel powerful, and healthy people choose healthy things for empowering. And that's one way to think about it, one general way. And the question is, what do you choose to make yourself feel powerful? Where does your empowerment lie in your life. Um, sometimes we choose things uh, that make us sick, even if they make, they make us feel powerful in the short term, but they make us feel sick eventually. Uh, but we get screwed up in the way we think about it. We become addicted to that thing. Maybe it's digital. Maybe it's chemical. Maybe it's relational. Who knows? Then you keep going back to that addiction because now you quote unquote need it and you just get sicker and sicker, and, and pretty soon you, just, you don't realize why you're sick. It's just kind of become part of you. So an important health exercise is self-understanding. Exactly what am I doing that has resulted in me feeling so crappy in life? Exactly you know, what am I doing or what am I not doing that results in me feeling so crappy in life. Do you even know why you feel the way you feel? Do you even know why you're sick? So this is like 80% of my counseling, that question right there. Do you even know why you're feeling like this? And the number one answer unhealthy people will give, well, I feel crappy because dot, 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 my life sucks. That's why. Well, as much as your life sucks or doesn't suck, You need to be healthy and strong to overcome whatever the challenge is. Even if your life is Oprah-esque, even if it's fantastic, and even if you've got every resource that you can possibly imagine, you can still get hollowed out and taken out if there's something unhealthy going on. It's important to identify these things and to take a moment and to think them through exactly what's going on that results in these cycles of dysfunction, exactly what's going on that results in this abiding hopelessness that I have, exactly what's going on that makes me feel depressed all the time, needy, shaky, like I need quick fixes, exactly what's going on in my life that, that makes it like this. And of course, uh, following Jesus. Um, modeling your life after his life, studying the Scriptures, it all has lots to say on this subject. We've been going through just a few uh, what I've called touchstones for health, Uh, a few different main things to think about um, in terms of building health and preventing sickness and weakness uh, in your life, touchstones for health and strength. Uh, Here's a quick review uh, of what we've gone through Uh, in case you missed a week. I'm working on my addiction to coffee, I want you to know. I've gone from four or five cups a day to two cups a day. Then I come to church and I need an extra one. Just got to face you people. Mm. Touchstone for health number one, well, faith. Faith, not surprisingly. Uh, And it might, might be the biggest one. You know, faith is a life skill. Faith is a spiritual skill. We need to be good at it, particularly if we're going to try to live what's called the life of faith in the world. Uh, Faith often boils down to just choosing the way of positive expectation in life. Saying "God, God could do something great here. God could do something great with this. That's sort of a faith attitude. And faith primarily is an attitude. Uh, when, when we talk about having faith, we're not talking uh, just about what, what you believe in, the sort of doctrinal pillars of your life. Because you could believe Jesus is true. You can believe God exists. You can believe all the right scriptural things, but still not have a faith attitude. You know what I mean by that? Faith is primarily an attitude, and what the world is starving for is not doctrine. What the world is starving for is attitude. People who move in an attitude of positive expectation where God is concerned. People, in other words, who don't live in fear because fear itself is an attitude, and it's the one that runs counter to faith. Faith is an attitude, and if you're going to be Healthy, where faith is concerned, you have to be really good at wielding faith. Wielding faith. At least that's, uh, that's how I've uh, put it to myself. You have to be really good at applying faith in situations that need it. Um, we don't have faith because we are certain about how things are going to turn out in any given situation what we do is we use faith to increase the probability that situations will turn out well. Faith helps you make good of any situation. And the scripture we study, you may remember, is is that famous story of Jesus and his disciples on the stormy sea in a little boat and Jesus is he's just had an exhausting exhausting ministry stint and he's asleep in the back and the disciples are fighting the storm in a boat now there, a lot of them are very seasoned fishermen they are not inclined to just freak out on the water but evidently this storm is so bad that even the seasoned fishermen are freaking out and the waves are swamping the boat and and uh, they turn around and they say you know rabbi teacher Wake up! Don't you care that we're drowning?" Which is a funny thing to say. If you're going to wake him up, you might just say, help! But no, it's like, don't you care? Which just sort of shows you know, their sickness. You know, we're inclined when things get bad not to ask for God's help. We're inclined to accuse God of not caring. So that's one thing in the story. But Jesus gets up, and you know what He does. He's, he looks at the storm and He says, shut up, be still. And the storm quiets down, and then he turns around and looks at the guys. I imagine that is a Clint Eastwood moment. <laughs> <laughs> but he was probably nicer than that. Um, and, and he says to them, he says, why were you so afraid? Which is a crazy question. Right, Because this was a monumental storm, so bad that it can freak out seasoned fishermen. Why are you afraid? I mean, what's the obvious answer? Well, because there was a life-threatening storm. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's not asking about the climactic conditions. What he's saying is, why did you choose fear instead of faith in that obviously dangerous situation? The more dangerous and uncertain the situation is, the better you have to get at wielding faith because faith can help shape what happens in that situation. When things are bad, that's the last moment you want to be afraid, <laughs> because fear will make it worse. Worse. When things are bad, wield what I gave you. Wield faith. We are very powerful because of faith. We're not all powerful. Right? There is never a guarantee about how things are going to turn out. Otherwise, we'd call it guarantee. Instead, we call it faith. Faith has to do with expectation and attitude. And it is very powerful. And it, even if things don't turn out exactly as you want, eventually they will turn out well if you keep wielding faith like a champion. So how are you doing on that? Have you learned to wield faith or do you just have it? Having faith is a consumer mentality. I have faith, I believe the right things, so why isn't life serving me well? That's a consumer mentality. As opposed to, wow, things are rocky, I'm going to use my faith weapon to get through this. To shape as best I can, to bless people as best I can, to be a light in the darkness. As opposed to being darkness in the darkness. If you get it, say, all right, move on. All right, right, thank you. (sighs) Uh, The second thing we talked about was purity. Uh, And I know uh, that's a word that inspires all sorts of warm fuzziness in everyone because there's nothing more fun than talking about purity. Right, guys? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and where purity is concerned, uh, our basic message uh, went something like this. <clears throat> don't be an idiot. There you go. You can write that down. Because, you know, you know, uh, by and large, uh, what the sources of impurity in your life are. It's, it's typically not hard to define them. You don't have to be... Uh, a genius, uh, but there are different ways in which we let ourselves drift into impurity uh, anyway. And sometimes we just need a swift kick in the backside. You need to follow the commands. You need to do what the Bible says. It's not, it's, it's not hazy, you know. And just do the basic stuff. You don't, you don't have to be all PhD about it. Uh, the problem is that when we become impure, when we engage in any sort of impurity, when we engage in any sort of sin in a habitual sort of way, even if it's a small thing, that sin has a corrosive effect. And, and the big effect of sin is that sin makes you stupid. That's, that's the number one big danger of sin. It makes you stupid. Or as some of your Bible translations will say uh, from the passage in Ephesians 4, it darkens your understanding, right? Until you don't even realize that the sin you're doing is sinful. In some ways it's become helpful in your mind. It's become right or righteous. And then we get like this big symptom in the world where people are claiming that something that is obviously sinful uh, is is actually righteousness and Culture itself gets very confused about it. Paul says this to the Ephesians, I tell you and insist on it in the Lord, come on people, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. I like that phrase. You know, it's like they're thinking so hard when really it's just obvious what right is and what wrong is. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them Due to the hardening of their hearts, ignorance doesn't come from hardening of the brain. Ignorance comes from emotional decisions and commitments that we make. Sin makes you stupid. Having lost all sensitivity. They have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, plus they're full of greed, but that's not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in Him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You know, that's, that's not the way people who are committed to the truth of things should live. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. He keeps returning to this idea. It's like sin makes you stupid, and then you're just a puppet. Then sin can just pull your strings, and you know, the enemy can just pull your strings, and you don't even realize what's going on. You are stupid and deceived. So what you need to do is put off your former self. You need to take a moment of individual s- survey. You need, to, you need to be real about yourself. Uh, think about what's going on. Put off your old self, which has been deceived, and be made new in the attitude of your minds, not the capacity of your minds, not your IQ, but your attitude, the attitude with which you think. You need to be honest, for one thing, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Impurity erodes your ability to realize that you're doing wrong. That's the danger of impurity. Right? Sin might have made you stupid. And what you need is to kind of detox so that you can think straight. So it's a little bit like being on a chemical drug. If you've got it in your system, your chance of thinking straight about your addiction are about zero. So you need to detox a little bit. That's really what Scripture says to do. What happens is that Satan poisons us drop by drop, just a little bit at a time, until suddenly you know we've reached this toxic state, and now we're too stupid to know that what we're about to do is going to cause a tremendous amount of destruction in our lives and in the lives of those around us. But it was a drop by drop poisoning, a step by step decline, and suddenly you're powerless to fight the temptation anymore. You don't just wake up and decide, "Oh, I'll think I'll do a big sin today." That's not what happens. Instead, is you know like rust eroding a piece of iron, just weakens a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and then one day the enemy comes and just puts a little pressure on that and just it all comes crashing down and now you've got a big problem because you didn't take purity seriously and you should have. So stay pure now. Stay pure even if there isn't a huge temptation on the horizon right now. Just don't give in to the little things, otherwise the world will take you away. The world will take you out with stupidity and destruction. So, just to put a point on it, um, a lot of us uh, will be struggling with um, sexual impurity because it's just so easy in our culture. And I know you're very smart, I know you're very special, I know you think the rules don't apply to you, but just stop it. Just stop messing with that stuff. Because it's making you really stupid. It's turning you into a world-class idiot. And pretty soon, I won't even be able to explain to you why what you're doing is wrong. You won't be able to understand anymore. You will become a hollowed-out puppet. And I know that's extreme language, but people, that's how it works. That's how it works. I've seen it a thousand times. So commitment to purity, Not a bad, not a bad idea. The third thing we t- talked about was humility. And uh, you know, humility is one of those great words that benefits from a definition. The way I define humility is this way: Humility is honesty in pursuit of truth and purpose. The ability to be honest with yourself while you're deciding what's true. The ability to be honest with yourself while you're pursuing your God-given purpose in life. Humility is, is really nothing more than a commitment to reality. Commitment to reality. You know? In order to get stuff done. <laughs> and As a practical matter, humility is, is uh, not caring what other people think of you. That's often what it boils down to in real life. Do I care what you think of me or, or, or not? Um, you know, and there's some ways in which it's good to value the opinion of others, uh, but there are a lot of ways in which it's bad to fear the opinion of others, if you know what I mean. It's a simple self-honesty empowered by God's love for you um, because God made you a certain way, He knows what it is, what people think of you doesn't affect it at all, what you think of you doesn't affect it at all. You just have to develop the humility, the self-honesty to discover and appreciate what it is. Uh, The big side benefit that comes from a habit of honesty and pursuit of truth is that it frees you from fear in a powerful way. Confident people are humble people. Humble people are super confident people. And that can sound really counterintuitive. But the more humble you are, the bigger your ability to simply be honest about yourself, the freer you will feel in the world. It will be all but impossible to intimidate you because you don't care what I think of you, you don't care what other people think of you, not fundamentally, in any case. Humble people are super confident people. If you have a problem with confidence, if you have a problem with insecurity, your root issue might actually be pride, which is funny. But insecure people tend to be very prideful in the sense that they want everybody to think really well of them, You know, which is a great definition for pride. They might be prideful because they're injured people, you know, they might be prideful because they've had trauma and disappointment and it's made them feel small and they've developed pride in order to defend themselves against that feeling or something like that. It's funny, it's funny how it works. Humility, uh, a lack of pride, removes insecurity. Isn't that funny? But it's really, really true. Being able to admit your mistakes, being able to try and to fail and to just kind of shrug it off. You're like, ah, well, you know. What's that to me? I'm I'm humble. I'm not going to get all wrapped up in it. I'm not prideful about such things. I don't need to be perfect. That actually removes insecurity from your life. Humility is the path of freedom. Humility is confidence and freedom. There are all sorts of great little vignettes in Scripture about this, particularly Jesus' stories. He engaged a lot with, with prideful people, which is to say insecure people, uh, in the sermon we did on humility, we read from uh, a story in Luke chapter 14, where Jesus is at uh, a, a, a Pharisee's house. He's 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 been asked to dine at the home of this sort of hoity-toity uh, religious expert, politically powerful person. Uh, but they're not they're not treating Jesus all that well. I mean, the script, the social script, is that Jesus is supposed to be very appreciative that he's been asked to dine with these special people and there's a sick man standing in front of Jesus. He's swollen in a terrible sort of way, Uh, but it's the Sabbath in this meal. And so Jesus asks uh, the experts in the room, well, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? And these are the religious experts of the day. They should have an opinion about this, but instead they don't answer him. The, The most celebrated people in culture are afraid to say anything. They're afraid of saying something that might make them look foolish. Whereas Jesus just free as a bird. It's like, well, I'll tell you what I think. I think it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Right? Because, you know, if your ox falls in the ditch or something like that on a Sabbath, if there's some emergency, are you not gonna address it? Still, nothing from the celebrities. And so Jesus heals the guy. Sends him on his way and gives that famous teaching about, hey, when you go to a wedding banquet, take the lowest seat at the table, not the most honored seat at the table. When in doubt, go humble in life, and then you'll be free like I am. When in doubt, go humble, and then you'll be free like I am. There's not a lot in our culture that celebrates humility. You know? There's a lot in our culture that celebrates style and admiration. We have a cult of celebrity, you know. It doesn't matter how reprehensible a person is. If they get famous, we give them honor. Um, none of that really helps us uh, to be humble. So how are you doing with that is the question. Are you humble and free? Are you insecure? Are you worried a lot about what people think of you? And then finally, we took a look at, at what, uh, what I called resourcefulness, Resourcefulness uh, is a big touchstone for health, which might sound, you know, funny, but I'm talking about resourcefulness in a particular way. Resourcefulness in contrast to what you might call poverty mindset. Here's, Here's the principle. In the kingdom of God, what you have is always enough. In the kingdom of God, what you have is always enough. If you have to feed 5,000 people and all you have is five loaves and a couple fish, somehow it will become enough, even if you have to perform a miracle or two along the way. That's how it is when you're really moving powerfully in the kingdom of God. But there is a spirit of scarcity out there. There is a spirit of scarcity in our world that says no matter how much you have, it's not quite enough. And different things can make us buy into this spirit of scarcity. Uh, Maybe, you know, like me, you were kind of raised in it. Um, you had some uh, impoverishment in your background, or maybe you just had some incredible disappointments or some incredible failures in life or some incredible traumas in life that have convinced you to make a deal with the poverty mindset. You've decided that you operate better when you don't have enough. That's what a poverty mindset is. You get empowerment from feeling like you don't have enough to do what God requires you to do. That's the poverty mindset. That's the lie. I don't have enough to do what God's purpose requires me to do. Poverty mindset. If only God would give me more, I'd be happy uh, to be a very purposeful person on earth. But the fact is, you know, God hasn't given me enough yet. Or I had something, but that jerk robbed it from me or something like that. Um, and that actually is a that difference, you know whatever I have is enough I don't have enough to do what God requires of me that's one of the big differences in our thinking in life it can be an effective lie poverty mindset uh, because there's an addendum to the principle of kingdom plenty in the kingdom of God whatever you have is always enough but in the kingdom of God things are usually harder than they need to be. I think both things are true. Uh, Because it's to God's glory to create plenty out of seeming scarcity. When Jesus sent out his disciples without him for the first time, uh, he didn't let them take any money. He didn't let them take any food. He didn't let them take any extra clothing. He didn't let them go anywhere where they already had friends. He sent them out as paupers into the world. Why? In order that they learn that in the kingdom of God, whatever you have is always enough. And that theme plays out in our lives a lot. It's played out in my life again and again and again. The ability to create something out of nothing is the thing that makes us most like God in some sense. To speak life into being. To bring life when there is none. To bring provision where there is seeming poverty. That's what we do, people. That's what we do. But then to think, well, I can't pull off God's purpose. He hasn't given me enough yet. See how directly that runs counter to things. A lot of us get stuck in this poverty mindset, and we can become addicted to not having enough. We can, be, we can become one of those people that just celebrate crises in life. You know, I know, I know not you, but somebody you know is probably like this, you know. Somebody who just just goes from one crisis to another and is always finding the potential crisis in every situation. Why? It makes that person feel powerful, at least in the short term. Over the long term, it makes that person a hollowed out shell of a human. But in the short term, sort of crisis addiction. Oh, something might go wrong. Let me tell you about all the things that might go wrong. Let me tell you about how much we're going to need to pull that off, about how complicated things are going to be. I mean, there's a way in which it's wise to think things through, and there's a way in which you're just trying to meet an emotional need, a poverty mindset. It's nice to believe that you don't have enough to get through. It's nice to believe that you don't have enough to pull off what God requires of you because it's such a comforting excuse. It's so comforting to think that you really don't have to try anymore. That you just, you're excused to just produce mediocrity because God hasn't given you enough. Things are too hard for you. Things are hard for you. Life is very difficult. But I assure you, whatever you have is enough to do what God requires of you. Whatever you have is enough to produce fruitfulness and blessing in the world around you. I assure you, I have it on very good recommendation that that's true. Jesus himself. Seek first the kingdom and everything else will be added to you. Are you resourceful? In other words, are you full of resources? Or are you poverty-stricken? No matter how many resources you have, it doesn't feel like enough. That's a simplistic way to put it, but it's worth thinking about. As you uh, think about your internal health, your staying power, your personal vibrancy, it's worth keeping in touch with these touchstones. So, where faith is concerned, have you fallen off your faith, or are you wielding it like a champion in life? Are you wielding it like a warrior, or are you kind of gesturing at it like a dissatisfied consumer? What's your your mentality? What's your mindset where faith is concerned? How about purity? Have you let yourself become polluted by something nasty? Uh, Maybe it's a digital addiction. Maybe it's a a porn addiction. Maybe it's some sort of, you know, relational addiction. Uh, Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's unforgiveness. Things that, I'm not going to forgive this. I'm going to hold this grudge. Why? It makes me feel powerful. Something like that. Have you let yourself be polluted? Uh, If you have, you're becoming stupider by the day. You might not see the immediate effect of this pollution in your life, but that's the thing. You won't necessarily see the effect of it right away, and the longer it goes, the less able you're going to be to perceive the effect of the trouble. It's going to make you blind. Or as Jesus said, lost. That's why he called people lost. They don't even know where they are anymore. Are you humbly confident or are you pridefully insecure? What do you think? That's a great question to ask yourself. Are you taking uh, shelter in excuses about not having enough? Or are you making honest assessments and trying to make progress in life? Resourcefulness or poverty mindset? But the big question uh, I want to leave us with at the end of this series is are you committed to your personal health or not? I think that's the big question. Are you committed to your personal health or not? Do you think it's important? Because I think that's the linchpin to everything. If you're really committed to your personal health, your internal health, then you usually find some way to get healthier and to pull it off. Will you settle for a lack of fitness in your life? Does that seem okay to you? Does it seem okay to not be fit? Thank you. does it seem okay to just kind of stay where you are? What do you think? That's just an important question to ask yourself. You know, and there's no judgment in that question. It's like, what's wrong with the way I am? Ah, insecure much? Um, you know, but well, I, I, I'm asking a gracious question about your personal fitness. You know, is it, is it okay? Do you feel, do you still feel strong and vital? I mean, really? If not, are you going to go maybe searching out some of these touchstones uh, for health and, and see um, if you could make some improvements in your personal fitness? You know, we're not talking about being judgmental. We're talking about, we're talking about passion, I think. We're talking about whether or not we have passion for spiritual health. Passion for spiritual life. That's what we're talking about. Personal fitness is part of passion for life, I think, and it's certainly part of life with God in this world. If you're not passionate about your personal health, if you're not passionate about spiritual health, then you will be taken out. You'll be taken out. Life is a rough game. If you go out on the field and you're not healthy, you're going to get taken out you will get sidelined. Can Almost guarantee that. Almost guarantee it. So are you committed to health? I know it's important, but, but are we committed to actually being healthy people? You don't want to get taken out. You don't want to lose your saltiness. And this is that scripture of the day, John 10.10, Dr. Doan previewed in his announcement. It's, it's, it's a famous memory verse, and I bet a lot of you already know it uh, from a longer teaching that Jesus gives in John 10, a teaching about abundant life. Jesus talking about the enemy and the true shepherd, Jesus Christ himself. Jesus says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full Some translations will say, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly or have it richly. So this is a great verse, not just for inspiration. I think it's a great verse for personal inventory. Do you feel robbed, destroyed, wounded? Because if you do, that's the work of the thief. Something has gone wrong. The world is working hard to take you out if you feel robbed. How many of you feel robbed in life? I, I often do, to be frank. You know, that's one of my go-to's. It's one of my dark go-to's. I feel gypped. You ever feel that way? Do you feel destroyed? Do you feel just messed up? All right, so that would all be the work of the enemy. That would be sickness. I'm just asking you a simple question. Do you feel that way? If so, that's a great indicator. Or do you feel like you have abundant life, that you, are just, you just have life coming out of your ears? You feel abundant. You feel like you always have stuff to give away. Do you feel like that? we got a couple. Fantastic. How many feel somewhere in the middle? Yeah, <laughs> fence sitters. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm certainly, I'm certainly a, a, a mixed bag, but I know that I should feel vital. I should feel abundant, and I wake up most mornings, and I don't, I, I don't necessarily feel that way. I need two or three cups of co- I mean two cups of coffee <laughs> to start to feel abundant uh, in life. That's just a great question to ask yourself because I think it tells you a lot about your personal health. Paul said, I've learned to be content in all circumstances. You know, grace just abounds free. No matter what's going on in life, I can be hungry, I can be in prison, or I could be free and fruitful. In any of those situations, I feel good. That is not true for me. And I think that has to do with my personal health, right? I think I need to get in touch with some of these questions. What's going on with me? You know, am I wielding faith properly? Well, that's hard for me. That's a good question. Uh, am, I being, am I being humble or am I feeling insecure? What's going on there? These are questions that I have to ask myself all the time. And I recommend them uh, to you. Do you feel robbed? Do you feel destroyed? Or do you feel as if you have life coming out of your ears enough to give away? I'm not talking about a smooth life. I'm talking about vitality. Two very different things. Yeah. If you follow the shepherd, if you follow Christ, you really follow him. I mean, you really commit yourself to it. Then you will have vitality. That's the promise. You will have vitality unless you're doing things that make you sick. I think that's what Scripture says. Um, what you'll find is that no matter what happens to you, you'll be strong enough uh, to overcome. I get to see this all the time. The difference between those who overcome divorce, who overcome sickness, who overcome the death of a loved one and thrive, and those who never overcome divorce, who never overcome disappointment or loss and fall into destruction or depression or blah. There are other people who get destroyed simply because they get bored with kingdom life, or someone in church offends them, and it just takes them out. I've seen people overcome the worst sort of sickness, the worst sort of trauma, and thrive, and I've seen people's spiritual life totally destroyed because they fall into an argument with one person at church. And I see that all the time. This personal health stuff is for real. It's for real. And staying power comes from internal health. So, what do you do to feel powerful? Do you do healthy things or do you do unhealthy things? I know that you have a great purpose in life. I know that God has called you for fantastic fruitfulness. I know this for sure. Um, And I know that in your purpose lies your greatest power. That as you pursue your purpose, you will become increasingly powerful in that purpose. I know this to be true. You have to organize for it. You have to organize your life for it. You have to pursue purpose with routines, with routines for health uh, as well. You need to find some good people uh, to help you in this. You need to get plugged into an Ahana group, and you need to ask yourself honest questions. You need to ask one another, How's your faith? Uh, what, do you do, what do you need to do to wield faith this week? How's, how's your purity, man? you know what I'm talking about. How's your purity? Are you letting yourself get polluted? Because you're going to be stupid pretty soon if you keep doing that. You guys know what the seven deadly sins are? There's that old Catholic tradition of the seven deadly sins. You know it? Can anybody name them? Really? You guys don't know? Pride is one of them. Sloth is one of them. All right, I'm going to tell you how to remember them. And this may only apply to people over 40. The, s- the seven characters on Gilligan's Island. Did you know this? Did you know this? The seven characters on Gilligan's Island were patterned after the seven deadly sins. Did you know this? I feel like finally I've made a teaching point that will stick. You have, you, have, uh, you have the skipper, uh, who's anger, anger. Uh, you have Mr. Howell, who's greed, avarice. Uh, you have Mrs. Howell, who's sloth. Uh, you have Ginger, who's lust. You have Mary Ann, who's always envious of Ginger, feeling insecure. You have the professor, who's pride which you get intellectual pride in a professor. And then you have uh, Gilligan, who's, uh, who's cowardice, which uh, you need to put an asterisk by, evidently. Um, anyway, that, that took way too long. All I'm saying <laughs> is that it's really, it's really easy to remember sins to ask your friend about. Hey, how's, how's, your, how's your sloth? Hey, how's your anger? You can ask me about that one all the time because I struggle with that. How's your lust? How's your envy or insecurity? Your cowardice. Get off your iPhone. Stop looking up Seven Deadly Sins. <laughs> Pay attention to me because this is the big finish, people. A perfectly good sermon until Gilligan's Island. We're lost. We're lost. We are stranded in Kaneohe Bay. How's, how's your pride? This is the big one. Uh, when I ask about people's pride, I like, to say, I like to say it differently. I like to say, What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? because there's probably a close link between pride and fear in your life. Uh, when I talk about resourcefulness, are you being resourceful or do you have a poverty mindset? I like to ask that a different way. I like to say, how do you feel disempowered in life? What, what do you feel like? It's just sucking away all the power that you need. If you feel disempowered, um, you know, it's probably not true that you should or that you need to stay disempowered in that area. How's your faith? How's your purity? How's your pride? Where do you feel disempowered? All right. Ask somebody next to you one of those questions. And they will give you either a quick, honest answer or a polite, evasive answer. We will accept either this morning. I just want you to get the question out of your mouth. That's the drill. Just get the question out of your mouth. Turn to somebody, don't care if you know them. Just get it out of your mouth. Okay, now flip it. Flip it. The other person asks, Well, how's your lust, Joker? Clearly I can tell by what you're wearing that you have no pride. But whatever, just say something like that. (laughs) And then pay attention for a second. Ask the same ask the same person, how's your commitment to personal health? How are you doing on that? Go ahead. Get that question out of your mouth. Ask the question. Move the muscles. Shape the words. Just for practice's sake. Swap it. The other person asks. How's your commitment to personal health? How's it going, really? How are you doing on that? Do you feel robbed? Do you feel destroyed? Or do you feel vital? Holy Spirit, I invite you to do ministry in this place this morning. Even as we have practiced asking good questions, I pray that you will inspire us to follow up and to follow through. He who follows the commands of Christ is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. He who does not follow through is like a foolish guy who builds his house on sand. I pray that you would make us a community of follow through in Jesus' name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen. Amen.